0: Hi, in this episode with Richard Capriola we talk about his book The Addicted Child and why every parent, carer, teacher and anyone who works with children needs to read it. Richard worked as an addiction counsellor at the Menginger Clinic in Houston, Texas where he dealt with teenagers struggling with substance misuse, depression, anxiety and self-harm. We talked about the signs to look out for how to have a conversation with your teen about the effects of taking drugs or alcohol and the importance of getting them assessed so that they can access the best treatment. There are also great resources out there for parents but it's also important that they have a support network around them. Listen to the podcast and let me know how helpful this information was for you and your family. Thank you. Now here's Richard. welcome to my podcast let's talk about self-harm where we discuss parenting teenagers and mental health so as a as an introduction then tell me about yourself and you know what's your background and what compelled you to write a book about children and addictions
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you today and uh, talk about this issue that affects so many children and so many parents. Uh, uh, I began in this field, in the field of education, where Mm -hmm. I worked as a uh, school administrator at a state uh, level uh, for, for many years. Uh, Actually, it was over 30 years, and as I transitioned away from that career, I began to work in the area of mental health, starting out as a mental health uh, uh, counselor at a regional crisis center, Mm -hmm. and I noticed that many of the people who were coming to the crisis center from the hospital also had a uh, substance abuse issue as well as a mental health issue. So I went back to um, the University of Illinois and obtained uh, a degree and training in substance abuse counseling. Mm -hmm. I then accepted a position at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas. Menninger Clinic is a large psychiatric hospital that serves adolescents and adults from around the world. And uh, for over a decade, I worked as an addictions counselor there treating adolescents and adults. And so many times I would sit across from a family and I would go through their child's history of using a substance. And when I finished, uh, they would look across at me and they would say, I had no idea this was going on. Or if they did suspect their child was using a substance, they would say, I sort of knew something was going on, but I didn't know it was this bad. So after I left Mendinger, um, I, uh, I, I decided to write this book. The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. I kept it to around 100 pages because I know parents are busy. They don't have time to read volumes of information on this. Mm -hmm. So I kept it to about 100 pages, but I packed a lot of information into the book, including warning signs that I think parents should need to know about what drugs are out there, they know about alcohol and marijuana, but they may not know about some of these other drugs that kids have access to, Mm -hmm. Uh, what are the warning signs they should look for, what are the assessments they should should get done, what treatment options are available, and what resources might be helpful for them.
0: Fascinating, and a very much needed topic, so thank you for coming on the podcast and talking about this because obviously this is something that will concern every single parent that you know anyone who deals with with teenagers and young people you're not going to be immune and nor are the teenagers going to be immune from some kind of contact with with drugs and alcohol so um it's 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 wonderful that we're here to talk about that so um Drugs and teenagers and addictions has been a concern for a number of years. And when, when one looks at sort of like, you know, the media and, and also films, um, I wonder if it's also because there is a part of it that is quite glamorised as well. So, so what do you think about the fact that that might make um drugs more sort of like, like 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 a like a soft thing to do for teenagers rather than actually being very aware of the harmful side effects even of things like you know cannabis which is quite on trend isn't it yeah
1: i i think the the media does play a role in influencing kids about uh, substance abuse and, 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 and not showing the, the, the harm associated with substance abuse, sometimes they almost glamorize it. Mm-hmm. But kids get involved with substances for, for different reasons. Some of it because they're curious, they just want to know what this is like, they've mm-hmm. heard about it. Uh, others because of peer pressure. Uh, the, the, The friends that they're hanging around with sort of entice and encourage them to use a substance or put pressure on them to use a substance. Uh, And and then for some kids, uh, not all kids, but for some kids, there is an underlying psychological reason that they're using a substance. It might be anxiety, it might be depression, um, it it might be some type of trauma uh, that they've experienced. So for those children, those teenagers, there's an underlying psychological reason that they're using a substance like marijuana, for example, to medicate an underlying issue. Many of the teenagers that I worked with at Menninger Clinic, when I asked them to help me understand why they were smoking so much marijuana, the number one answer that came back was it helps me with my anxiety. So for some kids, they're using it to medicate an underlying issue. There's also the issue of of self-injury and eating disorder. Mm -hmm. which also accompany sometimes a child using a substance. I've worked with uh, teenage girls in the past who were smoking a lot of marijuana, but they were also self-harming themselves by cutting or burning or some Mm -hmm. other form. So sometimes uh, we have to look beyond just the substance abuse. We have to look underneath the surface to see if a teenage girl or a teenage boy has these underlying issues, because if they do, it's just as important that those issues be treated as well as treating the substance abuse.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree, and I think it's also very important to note the correlation between it's not just someone doing drugs, it's why are they doing drugs? what's what's going on in their own environment whether that's within the family structure or at school or in their friendship groups yes that's so important to look beyond
1: just the drugs and and many times parents are um, so involved in trying to work on the substance use uh, because that's very alarming that's very Mm -hmm. scary that they often miss the fact that there might be another underlying issue. And in my book, I stress the importance for parents getting professional assessments like a psychological assessment, Mm -hmm. a neuropsychological assessment, so that parents have all of the information to have a complete picture of what's going on with their child because that complete picture is what's going to lead to a comprehensive diagnosis
0: and a treatment plan. Mm -hmm. But as as the parent who perhaps has that suspicion that their teenager is, is acting a little bit, you know, out of character, there might be something going on, what's the best way for a parent really to approach that teenager? How do you even start a conversation about, you know, are you doing drugs?
1: Yeah. That's, that's a really good question because I think the first thing parents should do if they suspect their child might be using a substance is to have a conversation with that child. And by that I mean don't accuse them of using mm-hmm. drugs, don't threaten them, don't punish them, but come to the conversation with an inquiring point of view express your concerns i'm seeing these behaviors can you help me understand why i'm seeing i have this concern can you help me understand what's going on Um, so that you are approaching it uh, from an inquisitive point of view Mm -hmm. a curiosity point of view and inviting the child to participate with you in exploring that curiosity now that's a conversation that's likely to go one of two ways It's either going to blow up and the the child is going to become defensive and argumentative and angry. Or it might go the other way and the child actually gives you some information that might be helpful that you didn't know about. But regardless of how that discussion goes, uh, if you're still concerned as a parent, then I suggest you get the assessments done um, that I recommend in my book. And the other point I would make in, is in talking to children, when talking to our kids, mm. we're very good at listening to each other's words. So that when we're talking to our child, we're pretty good at hearing their words. We're not so good sometimes at hearing the feelings underneath those yeah. words. Relation. And that's a and that yes, the emotions. And that's mm-hmm. a skill every parent can learn and every parent can practice. I have an exercise in my parent workbook that sort of helps them with that. But that's an exercise that parents can learn. That's it's a skill they can learn so that when we're talking to our children, we're focusing not just on the words but also the feelings. Mm-hmm. So when they're having that first discussion, it's important that parents listen to those feelings, try to pick up on them.
0: Yeah. So what would be the obvious and less obvious signs that a parent should be concerned that their teenager is perhaps experimenting with substances. Sure. Uh, In my book, I have warning signs
1: for a child that might be using alcohol, I have warning signs for a child that might be using marijuana. There are different warning signs for a child that might be self-harming themselves, and I put Mm -hmm. those in the book. And there are warning signs in the book about a child that might be developing an eating disorder, because like Mm -hmm. I say, sometimes self-harm and Mm -hmm. eating disorders will accompany a child using a substance. So those warning signs are in the book. But as a general rule, what I advise parents to do is pay attention to the changes you see in your child you know your child better than anyone so pay attention to the changes you see don't assume that they're just normal adolescent acting out behaviors they they may very well be that but they might also be an indication that there's something else going on underneath the surface so for for example um some examples would be a child whose grades are starting to decline a child who is getting into disciplinary trouble at school A child who used to enjoy playing sports, no longer wants to participate in sports. A child who used to very freely uh, tell you who their friends were and introduce you to their friends. You might have even known who their family members were in some cases. Now becomes very secretive of who their friends are. And then if you find any type of paraphernalia or drugs around the house, certainly that can become very frightening and alarming. So pay attention to the warning signs if you see some of these warning signs and they tend to go away fairly quickly Mm -hmm. uh it's probably not too concerning but if you see these warning signs linger on or you start to see more and more of them particularly if you see any type of paraphernalia then i think it's time to get concerned and and move towards doing the assessments that i've recommended
0: yeah so what if the what what if you've got the worst case scenario where you are you know al- almost without a doubt certain that your teenager is is taking substances or is self-harming mm-hmm. just just you know and and refuses though to go and see the doctor with you how do you how do you do those assessments how do you get the help and support that you you need Well, it's very important that
1: you get the assessments done because through the assessments, you will get the professionals to tell you the extent of the problem and give you recommendations on what the next step should be what kind of treatment for example uh is best recommended now the teenager is not going to want to do the assessments uh, you know all of the all of the teenagers who came into the hospital where i work came in screaming and yelling and angry and fighting and and trying to negotiate exactly. their way out but as a parent i'm guessing that you probably have heard your your child say no to you before (laughs) so this is not going to be anything new (laughs) Uh, so the bottom line is that regardless of whether the child wants to get the assessments done as the parent you need to assist insist that they get done Mm -hmm. And and a professional um therapist, counselor, uh, they will know how to deal with a teenager that's oppositional. They they will be Mm -hmm. able to work with them to get the information that they need. So my advice to parents is, if you expect your child to resist you, expect your child to be angry and say no, but move forward and get those assessments done Mm -hmm. because the sooner you get them done, if the child needs treatment, the sooner you can begin the treatment. Mm
0: and what support is actually out there for the parents themselves
1: that is an excellent question because so many times we put the focus on the child yeah. and we and, and 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 we forget or we ignore that the parent who's dealing with a child using a substance is going through their own crisis many times they feel angry mm-hmm. they can feel like they've been a bad parent They ask themselves, what went wrong? They ask themselves, how did I miss the warning signs? They missed the warning signs because nobody ever told them what to look for. Mm -hmm. These are good parents doing the best that they can. So it's very important if your child is going through this uh, uh, process of of being treated for substance abuse or self-injury or eating disorder, Um, that you as the parent build a support system for yourself. You will need support. Uh, It may be another family member. It might be a close friend. It might be your church or religious community. It might be a community support group. Um, but it is very important that you that you have a support system to help you as you go through this process. Yeah. And many times that's neglected, that's forgotten about. And parents mm. are sort of left out there uh, alone by themselves. Mm. And, and, and they really do need support.
0: Yeah, no, 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 I can definitely relate to that because, you know, as, as the mother of um, daughters who self-harmed, you know, it was um, straightforward, let's say. I wouldn't say it was easy, but it was straightforward to get the, the help that I needed for my daughters. Yeah. But it wasn't quite so obvious that there was any help out there yeah. for me. And then struggling and coming to terms with, you know, as you described, the the guilt and the shame and the blame and how could you have missed it? and And then sort of like, it's almost like playing a film back um, for me where I was trying to pick the point where it could have then been that point that that where it all started then and um, and you drive yourself crazy with that and it's not an easy conversation that you would normally have with a girlfriend so you are left there floundering with all of these thoughts in your head concerned about your child concerned about the you know keeping the family the rest of the family safe and and also, how are you supposed to get through this? And, um, and there wasn't an awful lot of help out there at the time. So I do feel for those parents.
1: I do too. And, and I've worked with, with, with a number of them. And, and, and they oftentimes do feel alone. They feel as if, you know, there is nobody out there that understands mm-hmm. what they're going through or 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 can provide a help to them but my message to them is there is help out there you you can find help um, and 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 this is something that I think is so important that, many parents miss is the need to have that emotional support around themselves. This is a journey that's going to take time, you yeah. know, and especially if your child goes into any type of long-term treatment or residential treatment. This is a process that is going to take time, so you as a parent deserve to have the kind of support around you and your family. Other family members are affected too, mm-hmm. uh, but but particularly when it comes to drugs and things like self-injury and even eating disorders, many times parents don't want to talk about this. You know, they feel like they may be judged as parents, um, and that's why it's important to have a good support group um, around with other parents, maybe mm-hmm. that are that are going through this or have gone through this as well.
0: Yeah. What are the um, success rates of then the the children, the teenagers that you saw? during your time?
1: Many of the teenagers that I saw, because I was working in a psychiatric hospital, had not only a serious substance abuse issue, um, but also very serious underlying uh, psychiatric issues as well. For some of them, it might have been uh, depression, it might have been suicidal thoughts. It might have been uh, eating disorders or or serious self-injury. It might have been emerging personality disorders uh, Mm -hmm. like oppositional defiant disorder. So many of those teenagers went on to residential treatment. Uh, they needed treatment that was going to last a, a, a period of months. And the ones that I heard back from, they were remarkable success stories. These young men and women not only completed their residential treatment, they they finished high school, they went on to college, and they graduated from college. So the message message to parents is, we know treatment works, mm. um, even when a child is oppositional to treatment and defiant to treatment mm. and they enter treatment in an oppositional attitude. We know that treatment works and 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 that, and that these treatments can be effective. The other thing that we know about substance abuse in teenagers, because their brain is in the process of developing, our brains have a remarkable capacity to heal themselves. Mm. So once that teenager stops using a substance, gets into treatment, has a support system to to maintain their sobriety, their brains have a remarkable capacity to heal themselves and get much better. It does take time, but, mm. but it, but. Our brains have a remarkable capacity to heal themselves so i've seen some tremendous success stories uh, once parents uh, are able to get the assessments get the treatment plan and get their child into a a treatment program Mm -hmm. um you
0: know if we go back to social media for instance because that's a that's a big one um you know i i had read, well, I was doing some research because I actually did a talk on social media and its effect on teenagers and their mental health. And, um, and it said that um, it was more addictive than cigarettes and alcohol social media. And that 5% of uh, teenagers are actually addicted to social media and spend on average um, nine hours a day on social media and you know, with, with the phones also permanently either in their hands or when they're sleeping by their beds. Yeah. And that they they struggle to differentiate between that virtual world and the real world. It's it's kind of like blurred. So it's not disassociation, it's just that they live so much <coughs> of their lives on social media. Yeah. Um interacting in different ways that for them that is the real world as much as this world that we would then say is the real world so that's quite alarming obviously and I'm just wondering did you see have you witnessed a rise in um mental health illnesses due to the overuse of or exposure to social media? Well, that is such an important issue that
1: I have a chapter in my book, which is uh, dealing with what we call process disorders. Mm-hmm. We have chemical disorders, which are the alcohol and drugs, and we have the process disorders, which are behavioral. Mm-hmm. And, and some of those are, some examples are self-injury, eating disorders, cell phone use, excessive cell phone use. And, and these behaviors can become addictive, like alcohol and drugs, and they affect the brain in the same way. When a teenager is on the cell phone or in social media media, they actually get a rise of, of dopamine in their brain, which is a pleasure chemical. So they they feel intense pleasure about that. Um, and that cell phone use often causes conflicts within the family uh, as kids become more and more obsessed with their cell phones. Um, and there are some alarming statistics that have just come out recently about teenagers, particularly teenage girls and social media, things like TikTok and Facebook, mm-hmm. and how that social media is giving such negative impressions to young teenage girls. They are forming their their impression of themselves from these false images. And and this is becoming more and more of a major issue mm-hmm. among teenagers. <clears throat> they uh <clears throat> Excuse me. The, the the statistics on how social media is impacting uh, teenagers, especially young teenage girls, is alarming. Mhm.
0: Yeah. No, I I I do do agree, and and it's definitely on the rise. And there are some social media platforms that have said they are going to that they're, they're working on putting measures in to to provide more safeguarding. Um, there
1: are there are and I think parents can 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 intervene and do uh, some things that will be helpful too. I think it's important that parents monitor their child's social media accounts. Mm -hmm. I think they should have the passwords for those social media accounts so that they can check into them. They should have a discussion with their child about what's appropriate and what's inappropriate Mm -hmm. on social media. And, And particularly for teenage girls who so often form their own image from what they see, it's important that Parents help these young girls understand that what they're seeing on social media, these images, are not always true or mm-hmm. accurate. But unfortunately, these girls will look at these images and they'll start to compare themselves to them and they will start to think that they're not as attractive or they're not as good looking. And then they start to get these negative images. So, parents need to focus on helping helping kids understand that what they see on these social images are not always accurate they're made up um, and sort of help them to understand that um, everything that they see on social media is not quite true
0: yeah no that that's a very important message and um, when when one looks at um, addictions and the prevalence of addictions with yeah within you know the teenage community what would be a a good age to start that conversation before it actually manifests in that t- teenager so pre-teen you know is is 10 too young to start talking about drugs and alcohol but in a way that is more appropriate for that age group I think it does need to be age appropriate
1: and I would say for the pre-teenage years, the, um, the 8, the 9, the 10, the 11, 12 year olds, what, what I would focus on is uh, the neuroscience. I would focus on helping these children learn about the brain, learn what the brain does understand that the brain controls all of these different functions so that they begin to understand that there's a part of the brain that helps them speak. There's a part of the brain that helps them see. There's a part of the brain that helps them walk and coordinate. There's a part of the brain that helps them think. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that the brain is in the process of maturing and developing and doesn't really become mature until around age 24 or 25. So for preteens, I would recommend parents educate their child on the neuroscience and the brain. It doesn't have to be scientific and and, and complicated. It can be really very simple. So that by the time the child reaches the teen years – they already have a basic understanding of what their brains all about and what it does and how important it is and yeah. then in the teen years you can begin to start to introduce how drugs work within the brain and how yeah. they affect the brain so start with an understanding of the brain and as the child gets older start to introduce topics like how does marijuana affect the brain how does how do these other drugs affect the brain? So that the child begins to see that these drugs really can change the brain. Yep. Um, and if your child's a teenager, you can still start that process of, of helping them understand the importance of protecting their brain and how drugs work within the brain. When I was working with so many teenagers, it didn't do me any good to tell them the drugs were illegal. It didn't do me any good to tell them the drugs are bad. Or that if they continue to use, they might get poor grades, drop out of school, not get into college, yeah. or not get a job because they didn't believe any of that. But when I talked to them about the neuroscience, mm-hmm. when I talked to them about their brain and, and how it worked and how it was developing and how it was maturing and how these drugs affected the brain, that captured their attention, that mm-hmm. they were interested in.
0: Fascinating. And um, it's not an obvious way to approach the subject of of drugs and alcohol but very very clever because i can see how that's far more relatable to a child i mean those are adult concerns about slipping grades and (laughs) you know and that's what we as all parents think that that's going to frighten the heck out of them and then get them to you know sort of like change their ways and and funnily enough it doesn't ever work it It doesn't seem to leave any impression on them but um, I do think that that's really really quite clever to give them actual facts on how the brain works and how it affects their thinking their behavior and when you introduce then external substances how that can then alter the chemicals and hence their behaviour and their feelings and their emotions so that those emotions that they're feeling when they're taking those drugs or alcohol isn't necessarily them, let's let let's say in that particular state. It is part of them. But yeah. to be able to recognise, ah, this is different and this is now the reason why. And yeah. And then yeah. the consequences
1: of that. Absolutely. This the, 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 this was this is this is the behavior, and this is the result. And these drugs are are actually working in your brain to produce behaviors that sometimes can have some pretty serious negative consequences. Mm. And I and I think that's an approach that that most kids uh, will will at least be curious about, be interested yeah. in. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and that's it. You need to engage them. Somehow, and as a parent, it isn't always easy because I think we tend to then also lecture. Yeah. And you've lost them immediately, or when I was your age, you've lost them again. Um, and and I think that there does need to be like a a roadmap, and I think that's what you've also referenced in in your book that it's it's like a roadmap for parents to guide them through, British. and um. And that's always really been being missing because it just seems to be an unfortunate side effect of parenting a teenager when when they get into drugs and alcohol, but there's the, the, the there's not the discussion about how you can actually prevent it, so we all we all have to then react don't we to the facts rather than you know roll it roll it back. And start
1: at that young age and do more preventative measures,
0: which Yes,
1: is absolutely them. Absolutely, uh, the younger we can begin the the education process, the more likely it's it's to have benefits. But regardless of the age of the child, I because many of the teenagers that I were working with, was working with were, you know, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen uh, years old. Um, what did capture their attention was the neuroscience. So, regardless of the age of the child, it seems that educating them on their brain as as, as a way to introduce how drugs work in the brain is something that uh, that truly captures their attention and and is more likely to uh, to result in them paying attention.
0: Yeah, invaluable, and and also when say so, so you've got your teenager then um, diagnosed and and they're getting their treatment and therapy and you hopefully you're you're getting all the support that you need Mm -hmm. but there's obviously then a disconnect in that relationship between the parent and the child and what's your suggestion um because you know that you're you're both really in a state of shock yeah and how do you then um rebuild slowly that relationship of trust
1: i i think that that is often an issue that is addressed throughout the therapeutic process Mm -hmm. Um, if your child is in treatment uh, usually if they're in a a residential type of setting uh, that program will have uh, a a social worker Mm -hmm or a psychologist Mm -hmm. that will be working uh, with the family itself and many times they will have a component of family therapy. While the child is going through treatment, mm-hmm. there will also be an aspect of family therapy. So that's an important issue that regardless of where your child is and in treatment, whether they're in outpatient or in intensive outpatient or even a residential treatment, uh, it, it is important that the family engage, the family itself, engage in family therapy because uh, we often put a lot of focus on the child who's going through the struggle of using a substance uh, but we, uh, we, we sometimes don't put enough emphasis on the fact that the family is going through their own crisis so the family itself needs support uh, and often that can be done through some type of family therapy.
0: Mm, yeah that's really good and um, what would be your biggest message then for parents out there?
1: My biggest message is a message of hope. It is a message that says that we know that treatment works. If, if the assessments are done, the sooner the assessments are done and the sooner your child gets into appropriate treatment, uh, the more likely you are to, to begin to see progress being made. Uh, but overall, I would say that my message is uh, a message of hope that you and your family can get through this with support and with help, and that you can come out uh, uh, of the entire process uh, with tremendous success. So I would say uh, for parents, um, don't let this topic of substance abuse uh, uh, scare you. Don't become paranoid about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Read my book, for example, Learn What You Can. Hopefully, if you read my book, you will walk away with the idea that, okay, I've got this. I feel more confident about it. I hope I don't have to deal with it. But if I do, I feel better prepared and more confident. And uh, I don't want parents to be paranoid about this topic. I want them to be
0: educated and feel more confident that they can handle it if they have to. Yeah, that's very important, isn't it? It's not about scaremongering. It's about... um, being well-equipped, and yes. and more aware of, of the perils then out there so that you can address them should you need to. Yes, know the warning sign. So many parents feel
1: terrible about the fact that they miss the warning signs, uh, and when it comes to self injury, as you as you are well aware, I'm sure, kids are very clever at how they can hide the the, the warning oh signs, that's true. Uh, uh, <clears throat> and and that's true for substance use too. They're very clever at flying under their parents' radar. Mm. So learn the warning signs, and I think uh, you you'll be more likely to catch it early on if you know what to look for.
0: Yeah. And I think as 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 a parent as well who went through, you know, their own um journey there, it's also not being scared of having that conversation. Yeah. Because I, I, I think that, that there are times when you look at something, you think, oh, but you think, oh no, it's nothing really. I'm just over I'm I'm just worrying about nothing. Yeah. And uh, I'll leave it, and and that kind of thing. And it's actually having the, would you call it courage? Um, just, just I suppose with with more awareness of the dangers out there, it, it just gives you then. Um, you just have to have that conversation, basically. Then you just yeah. know. Good I think thing. so. Yeah, I
1: think so. And if we're afraid of something, we have a natural tendency to run away from it, to, to not want to deal with it. Um, but I think uh, I think parents can get through this. I think they can learn the warning signs. I, I think they can feel better prepared to deal with it if they have to, and know that there are resources out there that can help them, that can help their child, and can help their family, um, and, and just feel as if you are better prepared to deal with this if it comes
0: up. yeah no that's that that's wonderful thank you um so much so your book is is out I've, I've read some reviews as well so it's been very well received and it obviously is is much needed out there and I don't think that there's enough discussions really about children and addictions yeah, I, I I would agree
1: with you. And um, if 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 parents and others want to know more about my book, they can go mm-hmm. to the book's website, which is helptheaddictedchild.com com. They can read reviews, they can read endorsements, they can read a sample chapter. There's a link that will take them directly to Amazon where mm-hmm. the book's available as a Kindle or paperback, or if they'd like to have the workbook, parent workbook, they can order that too. And there's a, uh, a, a link that will allow them to uh, send a, a comment or ask me a question as well. So I would recommend they go to the website, helptheaddictedchild.com, review mm-hmm. the material, and, and hopefully get the book as a resource. Even if they don't feel they need it right now, keep it on the bookshelf and, and have it as a resource for yourself or, or maybe another family that might find it useful.
0: Yeah, as well as I think, you know, anyone in, in education and anyone who works with with children and young yeah. people, you know, that's a a,
1: resource. Yeah, that's a great idea. Teachers, uh, counselors, yeah. social workers, Youth anybody workers. really yeah. uh, who who works with children. I think if they kept this on their bookshelf, would have it as a resource that not only they can use, but they could also refer to other parents uh, that yeah. that might might need that resource too.
0: Yeah, and I think the beauty is, as you you said you kept it concise, um, but you know, so tight, but with lots and lots of information. And I do love the fact that there is. A workbook that goes with it, so you're not just passively reading it. Yeah,
1: and and I wrote the workbook to help parents because, as we've as we've discussed, uh, parents need help too. They're going through their own crisis, so I put this brief workbook together to give parents. Uh, some exercises that that would help them at least put on paper what they're going through one of the Mm -hmm. examples is in the workbook you write a letter to your child you don't have to share it with them but you write a letter to your child about everything that you're going through there's an exercise in the workbook on on a breathing exercise on how to deal with anxiety Mm -hmm. and there are some tips on how to communicate by listening to your child's feelings as well as their as as their words so I wanted to prepare something that uh, uh, the book itself is educational, but I wanted the workbook to be a, 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 a something that parents might find useful for themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah, like a parent's companion.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Isn't it? Parenting companion. Yeah. yeah no, it's a wonderful, wonderful work that um, you've done and you're, you're doing, Richard, and thank you very much for sharing that with with us and I know that that's going to bring a lot of parents comfort um, as, as well as wisdom.
1: Thank you. Uh, that, that, that's my goal is to educate parents and help them feel as if uh, they, they, they know more about this topic and they feel less frightened, less paranoid and, and more confident in their ability to deal with it if they have to.
0: Yeah, yeah, and not hide away
1: right not hide away not run away from it that's right
0: yeah, yeah really good so thank you so much richard it's been wonderful having you on the podcast and i look forward to um you know reading your book and doing the work the the workbook as well and um passing that on as well in the community
1: Thank you, yes, please do. Please pass it to friends, family, associates, anybody in the community, organisations that, that you think might, uh, might benefit from it. I appreciate that very much.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you. So I hope you were able to gain some useful insights into how to navigate your way through your child possibly misusing substances or self-harming. You can order Richard's book on Amazon or go to his website, helptheaddictedchild.com where you can find out more about the book and his work. If this discussion resonated with you and you'd like to speak to someone about your son or daughter or perhaps you have a story you'd like to share, then let's connect. Leave me a voicemail message or email me at Shari at shari dot Thank you. until the next episode.